Welcome to Manager Tools. When not to use email. Part one. Here we go. This cast answers these questions. What should I not use email for? Why do some of my emails not work? How can I avoid conflicts using email? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Mark, I'd say that probably email is um, is useful, but much more narrowly than most managers think. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's 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 uh, email is rampant. It's uh, it's a great tool. It's grossly misused. People don't know how to do it. They're in a low state of anxiety about email all the time. They don't they don't think about. I mean, they use it as their first option, when in fact it should be maybe second or third or fourth. And so what ends up happening is people use email for the wrong things, and then they reuse email for the same wrong things. Um, so we thought we'd just go through the, the top five things that people use email for that most intelligent people know. Don't do that. There's a rule. Don't do that. And we've never done this. And there's a friendly, well, it's not too long a list, but there are a number of things that one shouldn't use email for. What are those? Yeah. So first of all, anything that's urgent, urgent matters. Gee whiz. No, of course not. Secondly, delivering bad news. Uh, third, creating strong relationships. Fourth, following up. And fifth, political documentation. Ooh, that's my personal pet peeve. Yeah. Okay. Urgent matters. You mean, you mean people aren't just sitting there uh, watching their email, waiting for something urgent to show up? And Oh, well, for with? you, they are. Um Here's what's funny about this. You almost have to be older to appreciate this, that if you came into a world where email already existed and you see everybody doing email all the time and feeling bad about it, we teach young professionals today that email is important. You know, even senior people are always on mail. Sort of a humble brag, you know. I, I hate email, which is a way of saying I love email because I spend so much time on it. It's great. I'm, I'm, dude, I'm so, I am so guilty of that. I remember back in my... MCI days, sending emails to my directs. I know, folks, we've admitted several times that we weren't born knowing this stuff and that we've made well, yeah, we every weren't. mistake that you've made, we've made 10 times over, believe me. So I, I embarrassed to share these, this kind of stuff, but I think it's useful just for some of you who are doing it. You can realize that you're not the only one. Um, but I used to send regularly emails to my folks at two or three o'clock in the morning. And I got comments the next day about, them getting emails at 3 a.m. in the morning. And one, I was proud of the fact that I was doing that and I was up at three o'clock in the morning doing work. And I mistakenly believed uh, it was proud of the fact that it was it might create some urgency and suggested them that they need to work longer hours. If I'm working on something at three in the morning, surely it gives you some indication that it's not trivial. You should pay attention to it. That's right. Yeah. Just, it's, it's, just, it's just crazy talk. It's crazy yeah. talk. E even better, there are probably some people listening that don't realize that it, there used to be a function in Outlook. I, I think it's gone now. I don't think Gmail has it. They may have. I I don't pay attention as much to some of the technological subtleties as I used to, but Outlook used to have a function that you could schedule an email to go out at two in the morning and people would go home and schedule a bunch of emails and send them at two in the morning as if to suggest that they were actually up at two in the morning. That's cheating. That is an unethical oh, yeah. use of, of Outlook functionality. <laughs> it is. It, it, yeah, it is. But but um, either way of emails going out at two or three in the morning, not a good not thing. Not good. Yeah. Look, email 
it wasn't intended for what it's used for today. A big part of email's original intent, guys, was to allow cheap communication when phone calls cost a lot of money. And that was what they were trying to do. Email was a cost avoidance issue for phones. But luckily, the scientists who started using email all those years ago were smart enough to know it was good for some topics, but not for others. Now, if all you had been able to communicate with colleagues before that was letters and phone calls, and suddenly you have a way to communicate essentially for free, you probably would know that there are still some things that are better for phone calls. That's all changed in the last 50 years. And there's a lot of folks, don't get us wrong. Um, email is an incredibly powerful tool. It's just overused. And there are some places where we ought not to use it. It's become the primary professional communication meeting for most of us. And for the wrong reasons. We use email primarily. It's our primary method of communication in most cases because it makes it easier for us, the sender. It's easy to use when somebody is far away from you. Uh, it's easy to use even when far is just on a different floor of the same building. Uh, it's easy to use when you don't know someone. In other words, you haven't met them and so therefore haven't exchanged phone numbers or know where they sit in the in the building. It's easy to use when you have an email address but not a phone number. Phone numbers are more carefully protected email because it doesn't require synchronous communication. It can be asynchronous. Most people will give you their email long before they'll give you their phone number. It's easy to use when you're the other person's in a different time zone. It's easy to use when you don't have time to play phone tag. It's easy to use when you don't want to have a conversation or you just want to transmit some information. So you start thinking about this. It's easy to use. It's easy to use. It's easy to use. I can sit right here and type. And by the way, it seems to me that my message is coming out perfectly. Right. It eliminates all the messiness of talking and being interrupted and having people ask questions and people had giving you a facial expression to suggest they disagree or people being distracted by the phone or whatever. It's terribly efficient and I love efficiency. That's 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 what I'm about. Yeah. Efficiency. The problem with any choice of communication media based on your what you say, the ease of use factor, is that that choice focuses on the sender and, as you say, on efficiency, when communication is about effectiveness. And effectiveness is owned by the recipient. Effectiveness of communication is always about the receiver and not the sender. We've said this a thousand times before. Communication is what the listener does. I'm basically... People are giving me credit for that, but I really learned it in Drucker's book on management, where he says, he didn't say communication is what the listener does, but he says very close to that. It doesn't matter what you say. All that matters is what the other person receives. And what's frustrating about communication and why email make, you know, essentially makes it easier and worse is because it makes it easier for you to say what you want to say, but you have no idea whether you got your point across or not. It's not what you do that matters. It's not what's easiest for you, the sender, that matters. What matters is what's best for getting your idea, which, of course, is pictures in your head, into pictures in the head of another person. And look, one of the biggest mistakes we can make is to send an easy-to-send email when the topic includes anything that has some urgency around it. Urgency suggests importance. Why would we want to degrade the importance of urgent by implying that we're only willing to put out minimal effort to communicate it? 
I mean, again, if it's urgent, it's important, right? Yeah. If your boss sends you uh, an email, then it's then it's perceived as urgent. But other, otherwise, why would you perceive an email that's not real-time communication? Why would you perceive that as urgent? Of course, unless it's from your boss, right? Yeah. And you say, well, it gets there immediately. Yeah. Okay. But what you're saying basically is, I want to use the easiest possible way to notify you of something that ought to be important to you. But by my choice of medium, I'm proving it's not important to me. How often have you experienced where somebody sends you an email that implies that it's urgent and your first response is, well, if it's that urgent, they would have called me. I have that response all the time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've gotten emails. I get off airplanes. Um, and I've gotten two emails. One, when I got on the plane, didn't know. My phone's turned off. And Wi-Fi on commercial planes in 2017 is such that it's horrible. And then I have another mail, you know, two hours later. Uh, you know, I'm really waiting on your previous response or, you know, it's really important I hear back from you. Dude, you're an idiot, okay? They think that because they don't have my phone number, they can still suggest to me that what I'm supposed to do for them is urgent. Well, no. If we don't have a relationship that justifies you having my phone number, then you don't get to make things that I do urgent unless you have an enormous amount of power over me. Simple as that. So there are no emails, guys, that are going to be perceived as urgent unless it comes from somebody who outranks you. Mike made the point about bosses. So here's a simple test regarding email for urgent matters. Let's say you send one or two emails on a matter that's urgent and you don't get a response. I'm sure many people listening have done this. This creates a, a problem, a concern, an issue, a, a, you know, a, um, something your boss has to get involved, whatever. When you are asked after the fact, right, let's say there's a hot wash done, you're asked in the hot wash what you did to address the issue leading up to the additional resources that had to be applied or the apology that had to be submitted or whatever. Will you be completely comfortable saying that in sending only one to two emails, you did enough and you believe that those who will be evaluating your answer will undoubtedly agree with you that a couple of emails satisfied the urgency of the issue in such a way that you'll be held blameless? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the issue, right? I mean, are the steps you took the media you had, the, 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 all the media you have available to you and the medium you chose, is that appropriate for the situation? And does email pass the sniff test of that's the right medium to use for an urgent matter? I mean, think about it. Letter, fax, phone, phone call to office number, phone call to cell number, phone call to home number, phone call to spouse, phone call to boss, phone call to direct, tweet, Facebook message, email, text message, physical meeting. These tools are all available to most of us in most situations most often. And I got to tell you, if it was urgent enough and critical enough, I would have three or four people around me calling everybody I know that knew the person I was trying to get in touch with. And if I thought I could get their spouse on the phone, I'd get their spouse on the phone. In times of urgency, using the easiest technique doesn't pass the sniff test. And guys, never assume unless there's role power involved or an enormously significant relationship, almost spousal level relationship, never assume that someone else automatically accepts your definition of urgency. It's like that old, the old joke that a mistake on your part does not justify an urgent response on my part. Yeah. 
Well, the other piece is if, if something's truly urgent, let's say just put yourself in that situation. If it were urgent to me, would I want to get an email about it or would I want somebody to phone me? Right. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. You put yourself in the other person's shoes and the answer becomes obvious pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. And, and guys, for those of you who know DISC, even if you know that different behavioral tendencies recommend you tailor your communications, um, you also know that sometimes the business situation or the operational decision or the time decision or the quality uh, situation, whatever, dictates the choices we make more than interpersonal similarities or differences. You might say, well, Mark, I'm a high C and I prefer to send email. Well, of course, again, you're doing what you prefer rather than doing what the recipient would prefer. And the recipient is the one that you want to communicate with. And communication is about the recipient. But then then the person comes back, well, Mark, you don't understand is the recipient is a high C too. Okay. If you're a high C, raise your hand right now. If you get an email from someone that says urgent, and that immediately goes to the top of your list. And you only do that before you do everything else. I'm not talking about your boss now. I'm not talking about a closely connected colleague that you talk to 10 times a day. I'm talking about just anybody. It just doesn't, doesn't work that way. And look, think of it another way. We absolutely preach that you should communicate in a way that the recipient will understand. Does anybody really think that a recipient's choice of medium is so overpowering that certain situations wouldn't trump their natural preference? I don't think you'd text someone to say that a member of their family is in critical condition in the hospital. If in fact there's a, a deep family crisis, you would say, hey, please call me because you wouldn't send an email to suggest something like that. Um, if you're going to give a public speaking for if you're going to have to get up in front of an audience and you think, well, Mark, I'm a high C, so I'm going to be very neutral. I'm going to be very fact-based. I'm going to be very monotone. You'll fail because public speaking is a situation in which you're far more likely to be effective if you're a high D or high I. There's all kinds of situations. I, I don't even need to go through all of them where the situation itself trumps people's personal preferences. And look, folks, in terms of guidance, obviously the, the simple guidance is don't do it. Choose another communication medium. Phone call is probably the best. It's, it's almost the most urgent. And you say, wow, is there anything more urgent than phone call? Of course there is. Uh, there's a face-to-face -face meeting. And look, if you want to end the tyranny of your urgent email problem in terms of sending them or receiving them or that low-grade anxiety you get, which manifests itself in constantly having to check your email, we encourage you to start managing your email by limiting email to specific times of the day. You can do that with two of our casts, got email and email three times a day. I'll see it for the hundredth time. I get 400 emails a day and I handle all my mail in 90 minutes a day. And I have no anxiety. And by the way, I say I, but it's silly for me to say that. There are millions of people who have learned to lay down the burden of email tyranny that often is exacerbated by the urgent email such that it seems to me that today, most people, the moment they get out of a meeting, the moment they finish listening to a speech, the moment they get out of anything, the first thing they do is grab their phone and check their mail. And what most of them don't realize is what used to happen is when you went to a meeting and the meeting ended, I'm not talking about just your team, you met new people and you started making connections with new people and you understood who they were and where they were and so on. And you recognize the relationships were actually more important than the communication between the two people in the relationship. 
and you started fostering those relationships. So email only three times a day. I know you believe you can't do it, folks, but you can. Yeah. And it's incredibly liberating. Okay, so on to our next point, which is one of my favorites because in my experience, you know what I like? I like getting bad news via email. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. You're fired. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Because <laughs> then I can immediately forward it to my wife and let her know. know that. Yes, exactly. It makes it very easy for you. It's very efficient. Yeah. Well, of course, some people say, well, nobody would ever get fired by email. Oh, trust me, people get fired by email, folks. And that just proves that human stupidity is, is rampant in all ways and at, at all times in some fashion or another. If I'm not mistaken, I want to say it might have been Domino's, but now I feel bad because I love Domino's pizza, but... I believe it was Domino's in Great Britain fired people by text message. Um, so if they can do it by text message, then they can do it by email. Look, when it comes to bad news, as it comes to any communications, think the message you're going to send and the medium you're going to choose. And maybe the most important underlying principle in this guidance we have is you choose email because it's easy for you, and we simply want you to and it start putting in your thinking about how you're going to communicate with people. Is this topic and this person and this instant, does that automatically devolve to email, or might there be something else? Again, when it comes to bad news, why would we choose the easiest for us medium to deliver the message that is the hardest message for the other person to receive? Bad news. Most news is no news. It's just ongoing, normal, operational, day-to-day stuff. Every once in a while, you get good news. But bad news? The idea that you would choose something easy for you to deliver bad news? Think about it. Remember that communication is what the listener does, not what the speaker writes, not what you say. If it's reasonable to assume that fear or anger or sadness is a likely outcome those are typical emotional responses to bad news, right? If those are a likely outcome of your message, email's the worst choice because it has the highest likelihood of being misunderstood of all the media at your disposal. I mean, even text messages. The zeitgeist, the, the, the normalcy of text messages is you could give some bad news if it's soft bad news, if it's not significant, and put a sad face in it. You couldn't do that in email. Why that is, you'd have to consult the demographers and and, uh, anthropologists who understand these things historically. Email takes away all of your behavioral communication tools other than the words you say. It eliminates how you say those words, your facial expressions, and your body language. Which amounts to a huge amount of the bandwidth of communication going between two people. Yeah, yeah. The words you say are small part. And yet with email, it becomes everything. And no surprise then that we have miscommunications in email. Here's what's really dangerous about bad news emails. And folks, you're not going to like it, but I can assure you I've seen it happen. The impression you're leaving is that you're a coward, okay? That you are an insensitive lout and a coward. Now, look, folks, of course, you don't think of yourself as a coward because you're not. But when people are distressed by bad news, They tend to see things through a pessimistic or a negative or a cynical lens. And if what they think would have been appropriate is a more engaged, more connected, more personal choice of medium, face-to-face or phone call versus email, they may wonder why you're not doing what makes complete sense to them or what would have helped them feel better about this. Of course, you're not a coward. 
But you did behave the way a coward would have. And I'm looking at your email. I'm going, wow, right now I'm feeling unloved and I'm feeling at risk and I'm feeling lonely. Maybe, in fact, you are a coward. I wonder if I can ever trust you again. How insensitive of a cad must you be that you would give me this bad news in email? By the way, whatever relationship we used to have, you've proven by this exchange that I misunderstood the relationship. I thought we were friends. No friend I know of would send me this quality of bad news by email. Right. It's the most tone deaf. It's so beyond tone. Tone deaf is forgivable. Okay. Awkward. This is cowardice. It was easy for you. It was so easy. You didn't have to engage. You didn't have to listen. You didn't have to pat me on the shoulder. You didn't have to say, can I help? You know, oh yeah, you absolutely delivered the mail. But boy, talk about taking a notch out of a relationship. It's amazing to me that this happens because it happens in the news fairly frequently that we'll see something like this happen, right? It becomes a news story like the domino story. I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. sure it certain it was dominant or not, but we all re- recall these stories. And, and I've never ran into anybody who didn't think it was just completely abhorrent, right? Everybody just reacts like, oh, my God. And yet, of all those people, many of them engage in this kind of behavior via email fairly frequently. It's, it's somewhat amazing to me. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. I mean, do you want your boss to tell you you're not getting that raise he promised you in an email? Do you want your colleagues to tell you they won't help you after promising repeatedly in face-to-face conversations that they will support you? Do you want them to do that in an email? Imagine three face-to-face conversations. I got your back. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. And then you get an email saying, hey, I'm really sorry. I can't do it. Oh, my gosh. Do you want your boss to tell you you're getting laid off by email? Or, you know, when you're delivering bad news, pick up the phone, right? No, actually wrong. Only pick up the phone if you can't deliver the news face-to-face. Now, you might say, ooh, no, I I have to make sure I get all the information out. No, you can deliver the crux of the bad news in face-to-face, or if that cannot be done, by phone, and then say, hey, I'll send you an email that has more of the details about why the client said what they said or whatever. And only use an audio-only phone if you can't get video, if you can't FaceTime somebody. Now, it may be in your relationship that you can't. You wouldn't FaceTime somebody, but in some cases, that's normal, in which case, if it's normal, you would FaceTime them. If they wouldn't be surprised, if they wouldn't ask themselves, why is this person FaceTiming me? Uh, Whenever I get a call from my good friend, David Hoyt, that's a FaceTime call, I know he's butt-dialed me. I know it. David's just not going to do that. The only thing about email is it has, there's no emotional content associated with email, right? Email says, I don't care, right? I I don't want emotions to be in this at all. Relationship, that doesn't matter. Yeah, but face-to-face says, I understand. I'm aware. I feel for you. I have empathy. In my opinion, when it comes to this, email doesn't just say, I don't care. It says, I don't care. And I'm afraid to face you right now. Like, seriously? Yeah. No delivery of information is ever purely about information. Every delivery of information has some effect on the relationship that is formed during the communication or previously existed. You better be really careful about delivering bad news by email. We've been about 30 minutes, so let's let's stop here. We'll continue the conversation next week. How does that sound? Great. All right, my friend. Appreciate it. Thanks, partner. Have a great one.